Before we start this podcast, we just want to give a huge shout out and thank you to our sponsors, Amphibipod and Colourful Cresties. They create amazing products to improve the enrichment and lives of a wide variety of exotic species. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 12 of the Herpin Hour. This week, we're joined by Darren from Darling Balls Reptiles. Hello! How are you, Darren? I'm good, thank you, and you? Good, good, good. Every day's a good day on the podcast. So, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and what got you into reptiles? Yeah, so... um... I started keeping reptiles when I was, what, a teenager. started off with bearded dragon. And from there, uh, I went on to breeding bearded dragons for a little bit. Um, looked into the genetics of all that and just got totally excited. But then life took me in a different direction, so I went away from reptiles again. And then more recently, I'd say five or six years ago, maybe a little longer, got into inverts. And then from the inverts back into the reptiles, and I'm now with um, working with royal pythons and corn snakes. Yeah, because that's how we officially met. Is when I was in the pet shop and you was coming in, scoping out the spiders, seeing what was what. That's very true. And that lovely pet shop setting um, <laughs> <laughs> rescued quite a few from there. <laughs> Emphasis on the word rescue. <laughs> yes, yes, it's definitely a rescue case. So what interests you about snakes? Like, what is it that gets you excited and pushing forward? Well, originally, the thing that got me be really interested with the, the royal pythons was literally just one single gene. It's a recessive gene. It's called the pi gene. And that, for me, just it just drew me straight into to the snakes. Now, I was never able, I say able, financially able at some, some cases, but lifestyle able at other cases. I was never able to, to devote enough time to, to, to get myself a, a, a pied royal. So... It took me quite a while to get to the point where <clears throat> I've now got a collection of royals and, and corn snakes. But it's just the, the, the behaviour, the, the temperament, and I was so different with each snake as well. You think yeah. uh, they're all just snakes, they're all just royal pythons, they've all got the same the same temperament, they're all in the same conditions, they're all just going to behave exactly the same. It's not like that at all. They've all got their own individual personalities, and it's amazing just to spend time with them and, and how they can help in so many different ways, as opposed to just watching the animal behave. I mean, we were on about it the other day with pied animals. The class is pied, but they're they're always different. There's always something. You never get like you said. You never get to the same. There's always something individual about each one, and that, I think that's fascinating. That like whether it be like a smaller, smaller pied area or just the way the pied breaks up into into different sections. I love that about pied animals. Mm, all the smiley faces that you can get on. Yeah, side. yeah. That is very Yeah, cool. the emoji pieds are awesome. Yeah, and, and I love like, pieds are my favourite. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Like you say, you've got some high white pieds, you've got low white pieds, you've got different expressions of the same gene. So where if you say, let's say we've got an orange dream pied, you compare that to an orange dream, and the expression of the pattern is different in, in the pied animal than it is in, in the in the not pied animal. Mm. So you, you, can, you can maybe get brighter oranges within the pieds as opposed to if it's just the orange dream. So, and it's not just the contrast against the white, it does actually change the, the colour of the pattern and the, the pattern itself. See, because I'm, like, I'm not a breeder, so genetics and stuff isn't something that terribly excites me. But when you're on, like, we're doing this podcast, I, I love the fact that when I, we've got people on and they're talking about their interests, if they're a breeder or whatever, and you can hear that excitement and that passion coming out, like, this is what I want to work with, this is how it works, and they're breaking it all down. It's like every day with Stacey's the same, like, she'll go on about genetics and how she wants to make this this the next project and that that in the next project and it's like that excitement pushes me to like gets me excited even though i don't know what half the stuff you don't yeah, know, yeah. you know what i mean it's like yeah don't have a clue what she's saying but if she's excited i'm excited okay <laughs> let's do it i'm not big on snakes but the one snake i do like is the pied royal pike because we're all pied lovers here yeah yeah there might be some in the works in the next couple of years. <laughs> we know where to go then. I now need to get some space. Yeah. <laughs> so you've just had your first season. How did that go for you? It went amazingly well. I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, obviously, being my first season breeding both the, the corns and the royals. So I only did a couple of purrings. I did two corn purrings and one royal purring. Overall, I'd say it was a good success, but... As we know, with any animal breeder, there are also the the other side of, of the breeding. It's not always a success. Um, so there was some not so nice outcomes. Like I did lose a clutch of 38 corn eggs, which is a massive clutch, by the way. And I also lost the, the mother to that clutch due to she, she held onto the eggs too long. 
And then during palpating the eggs out, her oviducts have come out as well. So we, we've lost mum there. But that is part of breeding. But overall, it was, it was a good success. I got some nice clutches. Uh, I made some animals that I was aiming for. And as with, with my purrings, I will purr to make animals that I want to make, or I will purr to prove out texts within my collection. So I won't purr just thinking, oh, that animal's going to be worth thousands. I'll, I'll make that one. If I don't like the genes in that animal, if I don't like what animal that looks like, if I'm not going to add that animal to my collection, I won't, I won't purr for that, for that reason. But yeah, overall, good success. I got a couple of animals that I wanted, one being um, an anary corn and the other one being a female fire royal. So successful for me. See, that's the thing with breeding. It should be about things that you're passionate about and you want in your own collection. It shouldn't be about, I'm going to pump this out because it can make me thousands. Yeah, breeding for yourself instead of breeding for the market. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's it. What one of the snakes I'm aiming for is uh, a super fire, which is uh, so the fire gene is a co-dominant, which means it's a super form, which produces an all-white snake, but it can also give a very pale yellow pattern, similar to pied, but it's not pied. Nine times out of ten, it's just going to be an all-white snake. But that is something I want to work towards. Now I've got a male fire, and I've now produced my own female fire from that male. So now I can make my super super fires. So that I bred for that that result and i got that result it's good to have goals for stuff yeah like you see far so often in the hobby people not having goals aimlessly just wandering around buying anything they can get their hands on because hey i can make a profit from this and then after the first year or within that first year they start thinking i've plunged in way too deep here i i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i want to work with and they're just popping anything out and it sh- it should never be about that it should never be about just grabbing whatever you can it should always be about, I want, like it's with the zeros, I wanted zeros, so I produced my own because that's what I wanted. And I know the parents, I know it's an ethical, safe pairing, what I did. Mm. And the babies were really cute. Yes, <laughs> there's also that. <laughs> they were very cute. <laughs> I mean, ethically done with the zeros, you'll get literally a small amount of them. So we ended up with three. Out of 18 eggs, we ended up with three zeros. Now, if you see someone with like, a massive amount of zeros from one clutch, you know it's unethically done. And unfortunately, not enough people know the dangers of pairing visual to het or visual to visual. So they do it anyway. And because they have a lot of zeros that survive, they class it as a success, but it's not because they usually have congenital issues and stuff like that. So, yeah, derailing, right? <laughs> Going on about my ethics. What's your opinions on snakes and small spaces? See, this is a good question. I like this one because... From the research that's done, or the research that's deemed plausible, we say snakes live in small spaces, so it's okay to put them in small spaces. Now, they may feel safe in small spaces, but give them the option of a larger space. So, for me, I keep my animals in racks. Now, I keep my big females, my breeding females, are in 70 litre rubs. Juveniles, adult males, and non-breeding females, as in the ants at breeding weight, they will be in 33 litre rubs. So, also within them rubs, there's a hide. So, they have the option to spend the time in the, the entire rub, or they have the option to spend the time in the hide. Nine times out of ten, if I open a rub up, they're in the hide. So, they're choosing to be in that small space. Does that mean that we can then just put them all in nine litre rubs? Well, not really, no because they're not going to get any exercise. They're not able to move. They, they should have that choice. And it brings that that, that, that brings me on to, like, like to the inverts. People, some people say, well, the inverts get stressed out. Tarantulas in, in particular, they get stressed out with too much space. Well, the wild's a bloody big place. <laughs> so give them the option. They, they, they can't have too much space. They can't have too little space. No, I, I agree with that. Like, as I'm not a breeder of snakes or anything so my snakes are predominantly just pets always have been always will be so i give them because obviously yes breeders use racks but some breeders use racks as an excuse to stockpile them and not give them that space my mm-hmm. my snakes as pets have the space and me royal spends most of his time in a hide even though he's got the space whereas me corns they're always out there always out every time i go in the barely in a hide you'll, you'll just see the head peek up because they're like you're like know, hello yeah but I think people, my personal opinion is a lot of breeders use it like the termite mound excuse as a way to stockpile all these animals that they just want to pump out and pump out and pump out. Fair enough, we need breeders to get the morphs that are out there now. Like, there's no dispute in that. Without breeders, we wouldn't have half of these, never like half to three quarters of these, these exotic looking royals and leos, everything else. 
if we didn't have the breeders putting the time and the effort in to create these morphs. But I think it's often used as an excuse, that the small space is often used as an excuse to not try and give them enrichment and, you know, give them that opportunity to uncurl and stuff. And that's what I personally don't agree with, with that side of the hobby for any species, not just snakes, is mm. it's always in its hide anyway. Because I know a lot, some Leo breeders, they don't give their Leos anything other than one hide. And personally, to me, I don't agree with that at all. I just don't. You should be able to give them the opportunity to choose, pick and choose where they want to go. Yeah, totally agree. Because again, it's the, the, the termite mound theory. I mean, this is something I'm going to do some research on maybe probably next year. I'll get around to it. Hopefully I've got a little plan in place. But the termite theory, I mean, do they live in a termite mound? Maybe that's where they've been seen the majority of the time. But I would bet my collection that... Royals are semi-arboreal species. Oh, definitely. I Yeah, I definitely believe they are. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And that, that's something I'm going to do some research into. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, because every time, like, when people have bought sky hides for royals, you get pictures upon pictures upon pictures of just a face peeking out of this sky hide. Mm, it's like, so cute. Like, where they've climbed up and they just, they're enjoying that little thing. Yeah. So if they weren't semi-arboreal, there's no way that these, these snakes would spend a lot of their time up high. Because mm. let's not forget, it's also a vantage point. If you're, if you're the higher up you are, the more likely you are going to see a prey scurrying about. More ample opportunity to and eat. This is it. Mm. But you, you, you'll notice royals are amazing climbers. Yeah. Yeah, climbers. If you, if you put a royal around your neck, it can get up or down your body with ease. Yeah. With ease. And they anchor with the tail all the time. So mm. I mean, they could well hang off a branch and snatch something out of midair. I mean, they are just a body of muscle, aren't they? So then yeah. they can with the tail. Without a doubt, they're with their tail. And like you say, the sky hides, nine times out of ten, you will find a royal in a sky hide if it's got the option of one. Yeah. Like it's going back to the small space thing. Like, yes, they may hide away a lot of the time, but if they're in a larger space, what is stopping you from giving them more hiding opportunities in that larger space for them to feel <laughs> safe to go across if they want to, or the opportunity to stretch out? But yeah, I mean, when when I worked in the when I worked in the pet shop. I think it was, I think I'm sure it was the Royals. They tore the UV down where they were climbing. They tore it completely off, off the roof of the Viv, climbing up. Yep. It. Obviously, they didn't have the guards on, the, the UV guards just ripped it straight down. Now, if they weren't climbing, there was no way that UV would have been ripped from the ceiling of the Viv. There's just no way of it. Yeah. And if they were a terrestrial species living in termite mounds predominantly and solely, then they would not be climbing. No, definitely not. Like if you've got, <laughs> if you've got a Royal out of it, it's rackets, Viv, whatever, it's enclosure and allowed it to free roam around the room, I'm guaranteeing it would be climbing up something. It wouldn't just stick to the mm-hmm. floor. It would be climbing up something. Yeah, so I've a couple of SPs. Dining room. I've like a couple it's... of SPs, and one or two are found down below, and there's a couple where I've found up on door frames. Yeah. They can climb up the door frame. Now, how, how does a royal python, with the girth and size of a can of pop, climb up a door frame if it's not a climber? Exactly, yeah. They're obviously <laughs> adapted and, or, 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 or built to, to be able to climb up these types of things. Yeah. At least give them the option. Like it's yeah. about giving them the option. Like just because they, you might not see them using it, doesn't mean that they might not be using it at night time or yeah. when you're not looking or you know when they think that they're alone and and stuff like that. Just just because it, you're not visually seeing it use, you know, a certain area of the tank, doesn't necessarily always mean it isn't, and doesn't mean that you need to remove it from the viv it's still the whole point you know part of captivity is giving them those choices to make themselves yeah yeah i mean i've always been like any animals i've kept i've always tried to replicate as best i can and there's a word i'm looking for i always tried to replicate as best i can the environment whilst keeping it obtainable is that the right word manageable for you as well yeah yeah i mean realistically yes vivs are incredibly expensive and all the equipment that goes with it is incredibly expensive so racks do have their place and it has been proven racks can be utilized in a way that benefits both keeper and animal it might not be like optimal way of keeping them but they can be utilized and converted like stays with the leo the uv leo racks the cresty uv racks it can be done now it's more forgiving with snakes with the uv thing because not much has gone into the, the the research of is it essential for snakes as it is with these other other reptile species, but racks can be converted to be both ma- like used as, as both a manageable thing for the keeper, but also enriching for that animal. Yeah, and I think that's where my problem lies with the snake rack keepers. Not you personally, but like the ones who will use it as an excuse to have small spaces. Yes, they only live in in little 
dirt mounds in the ground it's fine anyway but how do you actively know that how do you know that your animal doesn't want to explore like the thermal regulator they're a reptile give them that opportunity <laughs> give them a bit of space so they can go actually and it's a bit cool because the smaller the space you're not going to have that decent gradient yeah yeah and i totally agree there are a lot of keepers a lot of breeders as well that will keep in racks and the, the the biggest racks they've got is a 33 litre rub now for me for a five foot animal that weighs three kilograms that's not enough space no I agree with she, that, yeah. she, she, can't move. she can't move in that space. Hence why I keep my, my breeding animals, my breeding females in, and by breeding female, I mean anything above 1,500 grams. They will stay in the, the 70 litre rubs. Yeah. But again, all of my animals are out weekly. They're out having exercise outside of the, the rubs. Hence why I don't have a massive collection. I've got, I've got my nice small collection and that, that I'm happy with that. I can manage that. I can manage their time out of the rub. I can manage their exercise. I can manage their, their needs. And I don't need to have a collection of hundreds of animals because I don't want to make hundreds of moths. I don't want to make hundreds of You've got your project goals in mind. That's yeah. what you want to work at. What are your main project goals with the snakes you breed? You mentioned earlier the super form of was it fire, I think you said. Yeah, the super royal. form of the fire. So there are a couple. Pides have always been my dream snake. Now, I've had a little bit of an issue with a pied uh, recently, just been uh, resolved. But I will be looking at getting pieds into my collection again, probably next year, maybe the year after. But project-wise, the super fire is, like, as I say, an all-white snake with sometimes, really, very pale yellow pattern. And another simple, simple animal that I just, I just love the pattern of the firefly, which is literally just a fire and a pastel. Now that's what I'm shooting for this year with uh, one of my pastel females. And it's just, it's just the the brightness, the the color of the pattern. It, that's just amazing. Now it's not something that sells for thousands. Again, it's just an animal that I love the look of and that I want to produce myself. So that's what I'm shooting for. As well as there is one more that I'm hoping for, shooting for that this year, but. I'm not not holding me me um, cards close to my chest with it because it is something special, but it's also mm, unlikely to happen within the first couple of years. And that's a bushfire, and they are just stunning. And that's it's only four genes, but getting all four of these genes together just makes an amazing animal. So that that's that's where I'm at at the minute. See, that's the thing. Like you said, then I'll wait a couple of years possibly to get your, your pied in like if it's something you really want to work with and you're excited about waiting and hanging fire is nothing to be worried about I think that's another thing a lot of breeders go into this missing like you can wait a little while to get your dream if you've got a dream dream <laughs> project or species it doesn't have to be on your doorstep within a, f- a few weeks you can yeah, wait gosh. yeah it, like you can wait and you can work at it like big 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 breeders with the big big names have worked on specific projects for years and a lot of people forget that, like, oh yeah, there's this really cool morph. I want, I want to make this, and it's like, but these people spent years creating and adapting and and working out this morph. It can do, you can do the exact same. You don't have to rush right into it. Uh-huh. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, like it's not the be all and end all. If you, you know, don't hit that combo in the first year, you can do it the following year. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Like, you know, the world's not going to catch on fire and you're never going to be able to do it. A lot of people are so quick to, like, rush into, you know, 10 different projects, run them all at the same time. Or or as soon as something goes wrong, they they throw in the towel. They're like, if they don't get it straight away, that's it. Oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Do something else. Like, they don't yeah. actually have the heart to, to really focus on it and work with it. Well, that's it. I mean, one of my long-term projects, which I've not even started at yet, the Pides is uh, is part of that. It's a triple recessive, and it's just, wow, that's all I can say. And it is literally a Pied, exanthic ghost, and it's a triple recessive, so obviously that, that's, you're talking 10, 15 years straight away. Yeah. Because I want to start from the beginning, as in I want to start with the Pides, exanthics, ghosts, and then Bring, put them all into my own animals so it would be my very own line of yeah I was about to say that you've got your own line yeah. yeah for no other reason than they are stunning <laughs> get, get on Google and I bet you can't find a picture of one <laughs> <laughs> Google it you might be better off looking for just ghost exantic first and leave out the pied probably oh it, I didn't even type in the, the animal and it already knew I was talking about a ball pine. oh that is cool they're pretty much black and white oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. They look, yeah, now, I would have caught a glimpse of them before. Not in now. Look for an exanthic pied. Oh, that's cool. So it's like a black and white, white 
snake with the pied like bits between. Yeah, when you when you get the ghost into that into that black and white one that you just showed with the pied, you get the ghost into that, and it just softens it off completely, and it's just like a really soft grey and white. I love my favourite colour is grey along with blue. That is so cool. Are you just sticking with snakes, or are you going to be expanding to other species? Are you just going to specialise in snakes? I think I will probably stick with the royals and the corns. I do have a tortoise as well, who's a pet. And I will probably at some point in the future get other reptiles as pets. But as for breeding, I will be sticking just to the royals and the corns. Because, again, if I took on other species or more projects than I've got at the minute, I wouldn't be able to give enough time and attention to the animals and projects that I'm running at the minute for it to be ethical, to be said. Enough time and attention for, for each animal, so... I'm not going to be expand, expanding to other other species. That's fair enough. And I think people, that's another issue some people run into is they'll just be like, I want all of the animals now. Yeah. And they might necessarily not have done the greatest research on it, but they'll just dive in headfirst anyway. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But if I was to breed, I'd stick with just probably, I'd just stick with one species or two species myself. Like it's not something... Because I obviously I, it's not something that grabs at me breeding. It's like it's not something that I'm massively into. Just because a I'm not great with remembering genetics and stuff, and then the combinations and whatnot. And b I just don't get excited about it. And that's completely fine. That's completely fine. For some reason, some people do get a bit antsy when you know when you're not excited. Why wouldn't you be excited about about having your own cute little babies? Or why wouldn't you be excited about you know when they hatch? It's really cute. But it's not just that. It's you know, the raising of the parents, the making sure you have the right equipment, the setups, the feeding, like it's not cheap. It's not always, and it's not always, you know, everything's good. Everything's, you know, hunky-dory. Things do pass away. Things do hatch out too weak, regardless of how much work you've put into yeah. it. You get these things. That's just nature, isn't it? That? Yeah, like... that's, yeah, that's just the, the way it works. But people don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about, oh, but it's really cute. Why would you not Why would you not want to have your own God, Nick? Why are you such a heartless person? Like, oh, I my think, God. I think with me, it's... How do we explain? Like, with me, yes, they are cute and they are lovely. Like, when I've had hatchlings, like, I'm like, oh, my God, these are the greatest things ever. Mm-hmm. But then when you sit there with them and you and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm like, if I send this to a home, is it going to stay in that home or will it end up in a rescue? That's all like when we had jelly jelly mm. exhausts on, is it gonna end up oh, I loved jelly being like palmed off to a rescue who are already inundated with these what what is the word for it? Like it's 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 like a, it's a species that's they're just like bred like crazy so like leos at the minute there's so many leos that no one's able to sell any because they're just everywhere everyone breeds leos because a they're a beginner species and b they're one of the easiest reptiles to breed you don't have to have absolute optimal conditions for them to just to do the business there is some species of reptiles there you can't get them to breed in captivity because they're in captivity everything's so so fine-tuned in the wild (laughs) for them to breed and stuff you can't replicate that in captivity and i think yeah that was what bothers me about that's why i don't breed personally because i sit there and then i overanalyze it and i'm like uh, mm-hmm. and then i end up not so much hoarding it's like not wanting to let things go i've it's got like, a few like that <laughs> i don't want to, like i don't want to let this animal go because i'm uncertain of its face and its future and i think you've mentioned it before aren't you stacy you feel like that on the constant about your animals like you you've thoroughly vet the people who your animals are going to like i've never known anyone to push out the husbandry push out the care the food everything and then do like so many checks you i need to see pictures of what you're putting my animal into so i know at least what level of, if you someone's coming at you i've got a four foot viv i've got uv 70 hides i'm going to use loose substrate i'm going to try and go bioactive i mean bioactive is not the be all or end all like but someone who's putting so much effort in you can kind of gauge right this person mm. is serious about having this animal yeah mm-hmm. i i do especially now in recent years, I do have a bit of a war with myself about it, really, because the market's saturated with a lot of the species. I mean, cresties, you know, there's mm-hmm. especially with the lily whites, with the lily white market, yeah. market, yeah. market crashing because of everyone getting a hold of cheap lilies and pairing them with literally everything. Yeah, Just and everything lilies. Yeah, instead of you know focusing on color structure sad really health of that animal yeah things like that you know it it is kind of mental I do think that people who come into it should have 
an idea of what they want to achieve because you know if they came into it it might not be lily whites that they want to work with it might be something else but a lot of the people that do come into it unfortunately they do they do just want lily whites to pair with absolutely everything and Mm. same same with the azanthics though it's the same thing's going to happen with them because i've seen a huge influx of of people buying them but Mm. i've only seen i think one person and that's sammy that's actually put full thought into her azanthic pairings like she's not just you know she hasn't just gone and bought any any more base morph that's azanthic just so she can pair it with this that and the other she she wants to create dark gecko she knows exactly where she's going with it she's only gone and bought you know her animals and visual animals that fit that goal for her she she hasn't just bought azanthics for the sheer hell of buying an azanthic she has solid goals she hasn't just bought you know this little odd brindle that's het azanthic to go pair with like 10 different animals that are all going to pop out all different you know morphs structure you know all sorts she has been really thinking about it and I haven't seen that from a lot of the specifically more the UK azanthic keepers I haven't seen a lot of thought and things like that going into those pairings so I think probably you know in a couple years the same thing is going to happen to the azanthics they're going to be so embedded into the market but but in such low quality animals you know limited structure things like that that the price is gonna gonna plummet that's yeah because it's i mean it's the same with black knights they're sort of everywhere now really aren't they Mm. but i mean as long as you've got a plan and you've got something you would like to work towards speaking to other breeders that might have experience with something similar to what you want to achieve then you know at least you're at least you're doing something at least you've got a plan Mm. but i do i do struggle with it a lot because i do worry that a lot of things end up in in rescues and stuff like that and Mm. I'm a bit guilty of looking on pre-loved and pets for homes but it's of looking for things that I might have moved on in previous years and oh my god you do that too yeah I I do have a look through just in case I can say oh hello (laughs) I'll have that back thank you yeah we do like a yearly like or sometimes like every like couple of months I'll message every single person I've sold to mm-hmm. and like wait for all their replies to come in I do feel like I've been quite lucky so I haven't been been um, breeding as long as you have but I feel like I've been quite lucky that I think I've only had three homes that don't contact me or that have gone wrong like they haven't given it the care that they promised so I do feel lucky but I do sometimes still look like that to just in case you know because I'd rather have the animal back to ensure that it's going to get the better care constantly being passed around I do not back a lot of people Damn. honestly <laughs> it doesn't bother me one bit knocking somebody back I mean I must have knocked back in excess of over 50 people now probably more than yeah. that I care about where they go if yeah. I have to keep them for longer then that's fine they're still cared for and looked after properly <coughs> with me. yeah because because you don't breed more than you can handle I'm, we don't breed for the market we breed no. what we want to work with I know that obviously I know obviously me and Stacey we only breed what we can keep permanently on a, or on a more permanent basis mm. we don't overwork ourselves over flood ourselves with loads of animals and if we do need to keep it we don't see it as oh no when I sell it you know it's, it's going to go down because I've spent all this food on it oh no like it's it's not seen like that oh, it's, I, oh, I haven't found <laughs> home for this you know little guy or little girl whatever so you know that's gotta be I, I agree I yeah. don't I don't over purr I, I only purr I purr less than what I can count on one hand to be honest mm. and that's okay for me because I'm furthering projects that I want to further at a pace that I want to do it at it doesn't bother me how long it takes mm. five years ten years. I want it to stay something that I enjoy doing and not something that I stress about not so, yeah. yeah the second it starts becoming a job is the time where you know you're going too far for what you can handle. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's another thing where you say in job people don't realize a hobby should never be classed as a job. A hobby is what takes you away from your daily life. Mm. Definitely. Getting to the point where you're spending 
15 hours a day having to care for these animals because you've paid that much or you've bought that much, not because you enjoy being in there with them and changing things up and stuff, then that's when you need to start thinking, is this a hobby anymore? Because it's not supposed to be that way. If I want to spend 15 animal, oh, 15 animals, 15 hours with my animals, it's because I enjoy that, not because it's necessarily a requirement to do so because I've got that many I need to care for. It's because it's a hobby. And that's what you can't have a hobby and a business. You don't go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. The separate, totally agree. the separate entities. Uh huh. Like obviously, it is hard work. Yeah, any hobby you're gonna have to put effort into. Yeah, but that doesn't class it as a job. You're not getting paid to to look after them. They're not giving you rent every every day. You don't go round to each tank twenty pound from you saying, "Look, you were a bit of a pain last night. I have thirty off you." Like yeah. that's just not what it is. You're doing it because that's what you enjoy <clears> doing, <throat> not because you know you're you're being forced to or you have to like stuff like that it's it's because you enjoy and and that's what you want to do the minute it's not what you want to do and you're waking up in the morning going oh like I've got to do this this and this and oh it's so much work and I could be doing something else that's like better and all that that's when you need to have a re-evaluation maybe even cut down it might even just be a case of you need to just cut down a little bit you know relight the fire of of, you know enjoying what you do you don't need to completely leave it just might mean that you've maybe just taken a little bit too much and you're in a different, you know, headspace now and you just need to cut down. It's not a bad thing. It's not, no. it's not <clears throat> a terrible thing. So we've spoke about it face to face. You've got a project in mind where you would like to obviously build an outdoor enclosure so you can sit and personally document and analyse the behaviours of, of, of royals. So you can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so going back to the termite mound theory, most of the research will tell you that that royals spend all of their time in a termite mound. But as we touched on before, you give a royal a sky hide, you're going to find it in the sky hide. You give a royal a tree, you're going to find it up a tree. So what I plan on doing is making an outdoor enclosure, bioactive, but reproducing, obviously, the humidity and the heat of Africa where, where the royals are found. In there, I'll make a termite mound. Probably not real-life termites, but although it is an option, but keeping them yeah, might be okay. But I will also be placing trees in there, live trees. Um, so it's going to be a rather large enclosure. I'm looking at probably 12 foot by 8 foot by 8 foot. And again, royals are seen as solitary animals. And they only come together for purring, for mating, mating season. So I will be following exactly the weather and the climate in Africa and adjusting the enclosure to suit on a weekly basis. So breeding season is seen as it starts in December. That's in the UK. We take it as breeding season starts in December. But in Africa, it's obviously a little bit different. But I will be following the breeding season of, of Africa. And in the enclosure, I'm looking to place two females and one male. So a breeding trio. A breeding trio, yeah. Now I guess before before you carry on, I guess with that though, with the breeding seasons and stuff, if they've got the room to stay away from each other, they're gonna probably choose to do that. That would be my thinking. Mm. So it, whereas if it was kept in like inside captivity, they don't have that much room. So you you you're forcing it upon them. So that's that'll be interesting to obviously to study that sort of behavior. See how yeah, they that's interact. Also want to look at, yeah. Because, like you say, in captivity, I will take the male out of his enclosure and place him in the female's enclosure. He's, yeah, yeah. Got, nowhere, he's got nowhere to go. So, inevitably, they will breed. Not all the time. Sometimes they just don't take to each other. But nine times out of ten, they're, they're going to lock. Now, as you say, given that large area, the, the 12 foot by 8 foot by 8 foot, the male has got the option of two females. Will he make the choice of, right, I will mate with this female, but I'm not going to mate with the other one. Will he bounce between the two? Will the females knock him back? Who, who takes charge of the courtship? Is it the male? Is it the female? So it's all these things that I'll, I'll be looking at, as well as do they stay in that termite mound or are they up them trees? Yeah. That's my biggest question with that. I mean, I, I will be putting them in there as hatchlings. The only thing that won't be as the wild will be the feeding. They will still be fed frozen toad. Yeah, yeah. However, I will be placing in live insects. Because that's another another thing. I'm not entirely sure that royal pythons have a diet that consists solely of rodents. It's something that I don't think has ever been studied. But I find it highly unlikely that that is all they eat. So I will probably put in a colony of locusts um, and other insects that are indigenous to Africa where, where the royals are found. And just, just see, are they going to work as a clean-up crew in the bioactive setup? Or are they going to become part of the food chain? So that, that will also be interesting to see. Mm, that would what, be very what, cool. Yeah. 
so yeah, that, that's my plan with that. It's, and and as I said, they'll be going in as taxlings. Um, they will stay there for the foreseeable. That's yeah, that's, that's that's an interesting study to have because in the world of herping, there isn't that much funding put into these sorts of things. So we just go on hearsay and what's passed down. But obviously, as years have passed, technology is advancing. People are taking more time out of their own personal lives to try and study because it is booming. It's like booming more than it ever has, the, the hobby. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be good to see some documented information there from someone who sat down and took the time out to study it and not have to travel overseas. Mm. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the, the enclosure will be fitted out with all plenty of cameras inside all the hides, inside the termite mound, which I don't think is going to get much use, but we'll see. <laughs> inside the, the, the hides up in the trees. There, there will be cameras everywhere, cameras from outside as well, so we can, we can document it from an outside perspective as well. Yeah. Uh, but we'll all be recorded as well as obviously paper documentation of any anything I observe. May even do some live feeds on it as well. That'd be cool. Yeah, <coughs> live stream it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Quick intermission to let you know the code for some awesome discounts with our amazing sponsors. Amphibipod are offering 5% off orders under £20 with the code HAPINGPOD5 and 10% off orders over £20 using the code HAPINGPOD10. Colourful Cresties are offering 10% off orders over £15 using the code THHPODCAST10. So how have you actually found the community for snake breeders? Surprisingly, rather nice as a whole. There's a couple of breeders that I speak to from around here that have been rather helpful. Helped me out with any questions I've had regarding incubator setups, because I built my own incubator, regarding genetics, anything I was unsure of that I couldn't find on the internet. And they, if they knew, they, they would help me out with that, which was a massive shock, to be fair, coming from the um, invert scene. Because in the invert scene, everyone is anal. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they really are. You can't call your tarantula this. You have to call it this. Well, yeah, it's a binomial name. We know that. But sometimes it's easier to say Shaman Pink Bird Eater. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows what you mean. But not only that, it's like, well, you can't pair that tarantula with that tarantula because you don't know what it's, you don't know the taxonomy of it. Well, we do because it's, it, we know where it's come from. Well, no, because you don't. And it's literally that. It is really that bitchy wow. in, the, in the invert scene. But, I say inverts, it was the tarantulas, because that's what I kept. But with the snake scene and, and the, the royals and, and the corns, I asked a couple of questions on, on a group on Facebook, and then I was invited into a private group chat of first-season breeders of corns and royals, and I've learned so much just from that group chat on, it, in it, on its own. And everybody's giving everybody encouragement, everybody's telling them what telling each other what, what, what plans are for the year, for the season, and where we're up to. And it's just a really, really good community, which, which, as I say, again, coming from the inverts, it shocked me, it really did. I think in the hair, like, when, when you talk to anyone, a lot of people say, oh, the snake community, oh, yeah, they're the worst they've ever been in and stuff. Like, it's, I think that's a lot of, like, it gets a bad rep, the snake, and I'm not quite sure why, like, it gets such a bad rep, but a lot Have of people... Have any issue with snake people? No, no, I'm not... Snake people, dragon people, cresty people, never had issues with them. I don't know why the snake scene gets such a big... And I th- I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to... Leo, people. <laughs> I'm going to... Make- see, you're crazy, okay? You're blaming me. <laughs> like, so I'm going to put it down to the whole rack and termite mound debate because it annoys me that there is no middle ground with anyone. Like, everything has its place. Yes, it might not be ideal, but everything has its place. You have to have a middle ground. And I think with the snake scene, it's either one or the other. And a lot of people can be very uptight about that. I think that's what causes the tension in the snake scene is that... Yeah. That- head-to-headness about it yeah i mean there are, you do get your debates about viv and rack but a very very rare i mean i have seen it a couple of times where it's oh well you shouldn't keep in racks you should definitely keep in vivs and then people fighting obviously the rack corner of well the racks are actually okay if you provide the necessary things and the necessary hides they're just like yeah but they've got no space well they've got just as much space as a viv just not the height which as we've discussed they may well need the height yeah or may well appreciate the height should we say but there's not an awful lot of it. There's not a lot of it at all, really. I'd say it just baffles my head because a lot of people will say, oh, the snake scene, snake scene. And I've, I've, yeah, it's nice to hear I've that. I've seen who... snake people bash newbies as much as I've seen gecko people bash newbies. Yeah, yeah. I've, ne- I've not either. Like, it's nice to hear someone who's actually in that community have something positive about it. Because I don't know whether these people who are saying the snake community is terrible are actually in that community yeah. or pet keepers or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, the only- the only bashing I've seen, really, is 
where people are coming in and they're like, I'm looking for female royals. Well, what, what jeans are you after? Any female royals that are above 1,500, kilo, uh, 1500 grams. That's, and yeah, that looks very sketchy and sounds sketchy. Yeah, yeah. So then obviously the community's like, well, wait a minute. You just want any genes to start breeding. Yeah. So look at what you want to breed first. First of all, do you know what genes can and cannot be bred together? Because there are some lethal parents in oil. And and that's the only time I've seen it, really. When newbies come in and they're asking questions, or say they'll post a picture of the setup and it's completely wrong. So let's say they've gone to a pet shop who knows nothing about royals but has a royal in, and they've got a royal, and they're keeping it how you keep a hog nose. Yeah. And that's what they've been told from the pet shop. So they'll put a picture on. I'm just introducing myself. Here's my setup, blah, blah, blah. So 99% of the, the royal community, and it's the same with the cons, they will come on and they will say, well, your setup's not quite right. What you need to do is change this and that and this and this. But it's not a, well, your setup's wrong. You shouldn't even keep snakes until you've done your research, mm. which is what got in the invert community a lot of. I saw that a lot. Yeah. But with the snakes, it's not a matter of, well, you should do your research before you get your animal, which personally, you should, yeah. But at that point, they've already got the animal. Yeah. Instead, instead of bashing them, educate them on how to to keep the animal better, which is what the snake community tends to do. Yeah. Oh, that's what I've seen anyway. I've not seen any animosity or bashing. Like, I, there's a few times, like, in some communities, I've seen someone come on, they've come in, they've got the two-foot bathe, a red light or a heat mat, they've got the wrong substrate, not enough hides, they've got a high, new keeper, excited to have this, and I've seen other pet keepers, like, go hell for leather on them, like, oh, you're going to blind your animal, you've got a red light, oh, they're going to die, you've got a heat mat, oh, you've got nowhere near enough space, and it's like, I've seen people literally say, come on, I say, you're speaking to my 13 or 14 year old child and they're swearing at them and it's like, that is not needed. There's a way to do it. Like have manners, have like have a bit of common courtesy. Everyone comes into, I don't care who you are or what, where you've been. Everyone comes into this hobby, not known as much as they should. They just do because that's how you learn is you join the hobby, you join groups. And a lot of the cases you do adapt as you go. Yes, it's not ideal to be getting an animal and not being 100% on it, but no one is 100%. What also annoys me is there's breeders who will offer their advice from how they keep their reptiles to pet keepers. Now, pet keepers have an entirely different setup, in my opinion, usually. They'll usually have a viv, a massive viv with Mm -hmm. loads of space and stuff. Like, what you're keeping your animals as is not going to be the same or adequate for a viv. It's just not the heat the thing the, the gradients everything you can't have 24 you, like you can't have 24 hour permanent heat but you shouldn't really in a viv you should be trying to replicate the wild because usually if you're in a viv with natural substrate all the hides you've got a clear basking bulb you're gonna want you, you can't have that light on in the night you just can't you're messing mm-hmm. with the circadian ribbon like you say from, from a breeder point of view we, we we keep our animals differently yeah for, for different reasons i mean i keep my hatchling royals in nine liter nine liter rubs now, I've just took one to a, a, a lady this weekend and straight into a two-foot viv. So the nine-litre rub is, there's enough space. There's a hide in there so that the royal can move about. It can hide. It can do as it pleases. The two-foot viv has got multiple hides, multiple water sources, and obviously it's going to have a, a larger heat gradient. The rubs are obviously under under belly heat with the, the the mat whereas the viv is overhead heat yeah so they are kept differently like you said but i don't I, when when i sit on the snake i'm not a matter of you must keep them like this because it's not feasible for pet keepers to keep them like i keep my animals because they they can't have a, a 10 high 70 liter rat yeah just for one snake so i i will i mean i went and did the help the lady do the full setup and get get the viv set up and everything a few days before i took the snake down yeah. And it was completely different from how I keep my animals, but it's just as good or better than how I keep. Yeah, well, it, it will work better than how you keep for the simple fact is that's one sole snake. Yeah. It, that's like that, but a lot of breeders, they forget that. They say, yeah, but a heat mat's fine. But you're telling them to use a heat mat in a three foot viv where you now need a thermal gradient because you're not going to get that cold end mm-hmm. to the right temps. Yes, it's supposed to be cold, but it's not supposed to be UK cold. Yeah, there's no way with the heat mat at one end of a two, three foot viv that you can get 27 degrees at, at, at the cold end. Not a exactly, chance. Exactly. It's and then knowing if- when certain things should be used. Yes. Knowing the difference between you keeping something as, you know, as a breeder that keeps in racks and a pet keeper that wants something as a pet, you know. Yes. It's obviously, if you're speaking, to, if you're selling to another fellow breeder, 
then you know you know that you're most likely going to be talking in terms of racks and you can advise that way if you're talking as a pet keeper you're pretty much always going to advise you know the viv route yeah so you need to know the difference and you need to know where each bit of equipment is relevant everything has its place yeah it's not just a case of you know one thing that's it or the way I keep that's it yeah you need to understand both sides and be able to to give both options yeah the people that you're letting your animals go to not just have this like tunnel vision of one way or the highway that's it and within the rat keepers there's differences within how you can keep within a rack just the same as there's differences within how you can keep within a viv yeah but it's not a matter of, as as Hallie's just said, it's not a matter of, this is how I keep it in my racks. This is how you must keep my animals. Yeah, exactly. Matter of, provided you can give the animal the care it needs in either a rack system or a viv, then all's well and good. If you can't, then obviously the animal's not coming to you. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah, precisely. If you could change one thing about the community, what would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Not an awful lot with this community, to be fair. Not an awful lot at all. Everybody seems quite open. The majority of breeders are pretty transparent within the... Oh, sorry, the majority of breeders that I've come across are pretty transparent. There are the odd few that are a little bit sneaky and won't necessarily tell you all the failures as well. I mean, me, I'm as transparent as they come. As I say, I've heard two corns this year. One of the females I've lost, and as well as losing the clutch of 38 eggs. I've lied, actually. I've heard three corns this year. Just remembered. <laughs> there was a later one. But yeah, even then, I mean, the, the last clutch of corns that I had, I've lost two of the snakes from there at three weeks old. And that is part of breeding. And as I said, the majority of breeders are open about that and transparent with that. So there's not a lot that I'd change about the snake community, to be fair. Not a lot. I think if I could change something, it would be coming to that middle ground about things easier. Not everything has to be a battle. Everything, as I said, everything has its place. Whether you 100% agree with it or not, it's got its place. Find that middle balance a bit easier, like from the elisis to the viv keeping to the elisis to rat keeping, and that's the only way compared to the only way is a viv. That middle ground, find it easier. Yeah. It has to be a battle. I think that's the only thing I change, but I'm not personally massive in, like, massively involved in the snake community, so I don't know what everything is like but from what you hear as an outsider that would be would be my personal yeah yeah i understand that and, and like i said from being on the inside of that the snake community i wouldn't say there's an awful lot of it that, that like i say you do get your, your outliers where people are just like no you must do this you must do that and to be fair the community normally comes together and shuts them down yeah but yeah I, I, as like you say from not being in it and not seeing it on a daily basis if that's what you've heard, then that, obviously that's definitely something that would need to be changed. But from my opinion, th- there isn't much of that. Yeah. A bit of it, like I say, but not an awful lot. That's refreshing to hear that, though. Are you going to be brewmating any snakes this year? So every year, without fail, I would brewmate my corns. When I say brewmate the corns, it's obviously just my adult corns. Yeah. Um, although in the wild, the juveniles would obviously go through a form of brewmation. Personally, I'd rather keep a closer eye on them in that first 12 months and then they can go into brumation the year after if they want. But my breeding animals, my breeding corns all go into brumation. They, they actually went down two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago or a week ago? Yeah, two weeks ago, I think it was. And they all get woken up again in January. As with the royals, I kind of let them decide themselves. They let me know basically with the, how they're feeding. If they, if they go off the food, then they go off the food and I'll find them sat at the cool end. So I'd, I, I won't adjust the temperatures but if i see them at the, the cool end a lot then i will lower slightly lower the warm end slightly if they're at the cool end a lot and they've not had a meal for a month or two then obviously they're choosing their body needs that brumation they're going into brumation themselves but i won't force it on my royals i'm like that with my uh, dragons i've got two who's just gone down they've gone down regardless of what i was going to say and everyone else obviously me me baby babe well not baby babies but me black classes juveniles now i won't put them down but like if my my adults want to go down fair enough i'll reduce hours of the lights and stuff and then eventually just turn them off and leave them to it until they're ready to come back round. but i will make let them make that decision because i've got dragons that never go down and i've got ones that will or they'll go into what semi brumation and they'll go down for a little bit then come back out and then they're fine again they won't go down for the full for the full season 
Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, with the corns, the main reason I put my breeding corns down is because when they wake up, that stimulates then the, the, the breeding season. Yeah, yeah. Once you have the first feed and the first shed, they're then ready for purring. Now, you can purr without the brumation, but personally, again, they go down into brumation in the wild before they breed. So obviously that's a big rest for the body. That's uh, a big rest for the animals before they, they then got on that mammoth task of growing these eggs within, within them. And then laying these eggs. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, it's your clutches can can range from what ten eggs up to. I mean, the, the biggest I've heard of to be fair is thirty eight, and that, that was one one that I had. It wasn't obviously it wasn't a successful clutch, but they can go as big as like I say, thirty five eggs. Yeah, thirty eight. It's a lot of work. So giving them the rest at the end of the season, obviously building them back up from 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 when they lay, getting them nice and plump again, so they got a little bit of excess fat. And then that can carry them through the brumation and then they come out of brumation. They're still nice and healthy because they've not lost a lot of weight. They've regained the weight after they're clutched. And for me, if they've not regained the pre-laying weight before they're due for brumation, then they will not be purred the next year. Which is a decent and, way to look at it, yeah. And that, that goes with the royals as well. Like um, the clutch of royals I had this year, the female, she's, she's not put enough weight back on this year for me to say, right, I will purr again next season. She, she will miss next season. And that doesn't bother me in the slightest because I know for a fact that she's going to be healthier the following season. Yeah. As opposed to pumping her every season and a losing weight every year, it's it's not not exactly fur on the animal. No. Plus, she's my little baby. She gave me my first clutch of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found keeping and your mental health? Has it had a positive impact and give you a push every day? It's amazing because it's like I know that my collection depends on me, right? So just as much as my kids depend on me, my collection of animals depend on me as well. And although they don't know they depend on me, they depend on me. Without me feeding them, without me cleaning them, without me giving them fresh water, without me health checking them when they need it and seeing to any of their health concerns, they've got nothing. So for me, I have struggled with mental health in the past. I still do sometimes, but not as bad as as I have in the past. And some days I can wake up and I just don't want to get out of bed. But I know for a fact, if I don't get out of bed, them animals aren't getting what they need that day. So that gives me that little kick up the rear end to get get out of bed and get moving and then i find i'll get one out for for some enrichment and and some exercise out of the viv and i'm just sat there watching and it just takes me away from the real world and it brings me down a level that calms me down it it picks me up from the depression and it relieves anxiety because just watching the snakes and some of the dumb things that they do is just (laughs) that makes me chuckle so yeah as far as mental health goes it's had a massive massive positive Im- impact on my mental health I think that's the thing isn't it? it is an escape at the end of the day like and that's why it's a good hobby like all hobbies should be that escape for you but I find when I'm watching like say for the example the Agamas they've got such an intricate way of just being themselves you're watching them you're seeing something new every day and they might not be the most sociable of animals but they're not aggressive either. So if I wanted to go and grab them, they're not going to be happy about it, but I can. And watching how they watch me, that fascinates me. So when they're analysing me as I'm analysing them, it's like a paradox, like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching me as I'm watching them. And then you've got the dragons watching me, watching the Agamas who are watching me. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's <laughs> but I love that. Crazy. I love that. I love watching how they behave. So like, I know obviously they've not, we anthropomorphize that word. We put too many human emotions into these animals at times, but they do recognise you as the food bringer at least. So, like, when you walk into that room and they see you come into that room and it's like everyone's at the glass, like, is it cricket day today? Where's the snacks? Yeah, is it cricket day today? That's, that's a, a boss feeling that it's like, hello, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I am hungry. For the snacks. Yeah, so I love that's that. That's it. Now, with the snakes, it's, I, I tend to, I'll, I'll defrost overnight, so... Uh, like say on, on the day before feed day, they're all asleep and they're all doing what they do, being snaky snakes. And then Snake I'll put the food out on the night and then I wake up in the morning and they're all super active. Like, well, I can smell that. Where is it? I know it's coming. <laughs> and then obviously I wait until the evening then for when they're fully defrosted, I warm them up. And as soon as I start warming, that's it. Every tub's going. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> Um, it's just amazing and then again other times when it's not feed day I can open the tubs up and I've got a couple that will just be straight away straight to the thing and they're out and they, 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 they help themselves they get themselves out and then there's others that are a little bit shy and they're just like no leave me alone <laughs> so the, each one's got their own personality and 
I've got a corn, which you know quite well, Nick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when I'm feeling adventurous, when I'm feeling adventurous, I get him out for a handling session. <laughs> feeling a bit brave, we'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with my chain mail a, Yeah, <laughs> I've got my I've got my female snow who's just like that. It's like, is today the day she's due to be cleaned? Because to be honest, do I want to keep all my fingers at the end of this act? Because I know, regardless of how much she's handled and how much she's well fed and she's you know cared for she's going to try and take my face off there's no two ways about it i would never get rid of it i'd never change it but you know please she wants to eat you yeah please today give me a bit of leeway to just come in and actually change your water without the struggle of distracting you down this end with like a bit of a tap on the on the viv wall when you oh i'm looking over here something like that hand in as fast as i can grab that water dish she's distracted that's what i'm like with the blood red he's a little diamond once he's out once he's out he's sound now but getting him out wow stress oh it's fun so to end the podcast is there any advice you would give to people who are coming into the hobby or coming into the breeding side of it is there anything you'd say you know this is the best way to go for, for something coming into the hobby as as a keeper do not rush I know that that can be one of the hardest things when, when you're coming into a hobby because it's like, oh, snakes, I've got yes, all this I'm like, I'm like that, that super impulsive. I'm like, oh, I, oh, I want to, want to, want to, want Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that's can, it. I've but... drawn draw that line. Is it feasible right now? In my head, yes, it is. But in my heart, where like, I know, you know, deep down, no, it's not. I'll have to wait. So my head's like, get it, get it. And my heart's like, no, don't do this. So I follow my heart. Don't do it. You're ready. I nearly bought an owl last week, but no, we we left that one. An owl? Stacey's uncle breeds them. Stacey's uncle breeds them. So every time he's got them, I'm like, Stacey, come here, come here, come here. He always sends pictures as well. And I'm literally the same. I'm like, oh, we could just get one and it's really cute. I could just let it free roam in the room. Like, Oh yeah, so be patient, don't rush, because the animal that you want may not be the first one that's available. Yep. And don't just get the first animal that's available to you, because what you'll tend to find is the hobby can be quite addictive. <laughs> and yes. You may. Find I don't know what you're on about addiction. <laughs> <laughs> not got a clue. I need to new rat. So yeah, you, you you could come across, let's say, a pastel royal. Look at that, I love it, I want it. It's bright yellow, woo, love it, bought it. But look at the firefly that's available now. Now I need yeah. another vid. I'll just now have to get that too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. But if you're only going to get one, be patient. Expect that one to turn into 12 and be more patient. <laughs> Expect that to turn into 12, then times it by seven. Yeah. Add yep. 92, <laughs> take away 15, but then add another 39. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. And don't forget to round up to the nearest 1,000. <laughs> yeah, and then getting into reading side, research, 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 and then a little bit more research, and then, as best you can, a bit more research. Genetics. If you're going to breed, breed for the animals that you like. Don't breed for a profit, because you will not make a profit. The only way you're going to make a profit is if you're churning out animals after animals after animals, or if you're producing world first. Or... Something that's really sought after. But yeah, even yeah. when it's sought after, there's going to be so many other people breeding that because it's sought after. Yeah, so don't expect to, to come into breeding and make a profit. It's highly unlikely that that's going to happen. A lot of people think, oh, you, you spent... X amount on your collection and now you can make animals that sell for X amount and yeah, I can, but I've also spent X amount on food, X amount on housing. So don't go to breeding thinking you're going to make a profit and do your research on your genetics because as with a lot of reptiles, there are some genes that are not compatible. And a lot of the times, if you're unaware of it, you will be made aware of it within the community. Yeah. So... If you're unsure of something, you've got a purring that you're planning, ask. Ask breeders. Ask them, Is what do you think of this purring? Is this, is this a possible purring? Will this make the animal that I'm looking for? Because nine times out of ten, if you're looking to produce a specific animal, it will have already been made. Mm. So you'll know if it's, fe- if it's a feasible purring or not. Yeah. And don't just go throwing this animal with that animal to see what you get work out the genetics first that's what i would suggest with coming into breeding and and enjoy keeping for a while yeah that's it the the most important thing is enjoy it yeah the second it stops being enjoyable is the second you need to look for a new hobby yeah 
people reevaluate. Yes, completely. Reevaluate. <laughs> so with that, we'll conclude this week's episode of the podcast. A huge thank you to Darren from Darling Balls Reptiles for joining us. Been nice to have that discussion, that back and forth about everything and, you know, just talk about things in general. Please be sure to go check him out on all his platforms because obviously, as you've heard from this podcast, he's got some exciting things to come. Don't forget to check out our awesome sponsors, Amphibipod and, and Colourful Cresties, and be sure to use your code for some awesome discounts. Thanks for all the support we've been getting in the form of messages and shares. We really appreciate it. We're honestly dead humbled by it. It's like dead nice to log on and have someone there say, oh, we really enjoyed this episode and all the feedback we're getting, whether it's positive or negative, it is taken on board. So thank you for that. As we explained last week, We've got some new merch now and a couple of people have already bought it. So thank you to them for supporting us and supporting small businesses along the way because that's something we really value with the podcast. If you're interested in finding out more, feel free to shoot us a message and we'll point you in the right directions. And as always, we'll see you again next week for another informative chat. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.